find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, letting the water hold me down, letting the days go by, water flowing underground, into the blue again, after the money's gone, once in a lifetime, water flowing underground, and you may ask yourself, how do I work this? Hey, how's it ho 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 and everybody, this is Chris, welcome to day two of our little break, uh, Merry X Lapsed. We were, you know, bebopping through X history to eh, spend the holidays with our favorite team here. Today, we're going to be doing sort of a follow-up to uh, the first episode where we, you know, hung out in Rockefeller Center with the all-new X-Men. Now, we're going to go to Rockefeller Center with a whole new bunch of X-Men. Well, not completely new, but different. And it's a story right out of my own personal wheelhouse, so let's get right into it. This is Uncanny X-Men number 341. This had a February 1997 cover date. The story is called When Strikes a Gladiator, written by Scott Lobdell with pencils by Joe Majuara. Inks, Tim Townsend. Letters, Richard Stockings and Comic Craft. Colors, Steve Bouchelato and Team Bouche. Or Boosie? Boosie? Maybe? I don't know. Edits, Bob Harris. Cover price, $1.95. Now, just like last time, we're going to start with the cover. And just like last time, it's another not-so-Christmassy cover. Uh, it's a pretty good one, though. It's uh, got Cannonball and Gladiator kind of launching toward one another. It kind of reminds me of that issue with a, of a Superman where he fights that... Bronze Age Captain Marvel knockoff, Captain Thunder. Similar poses, you know? It's still Joe Mad, though, which means I am a big fan of it. So I'm always happy to see Joe Mad on the X-Men. Now, this issue came out during my first ever X-Hiatus. Um, I was away from the books at this time after... You know, I've, I've talked about this many times before. I suffered some gimmick cover sticker shock, which... Uh, it was one of those things that reminded me that comics are a business out to make money. I mean, the sheer nerve of it, right? I guess it was just one of the, you know, the first of many times that I felt exploited as a loyal consumer. And I'm sure I will probably never, ever learn. So all that to say, I missed out on eh, probably over half of the Joe Majuara tenure, which kind of sucks because, I, like I said, I really, really do enjoy his work. Okay, with that out of the way, let's hop on inside here, and uh, I think it might be Christmas Eve. <laughs> like I said last episode, um, we do have a pattern of behavior here with uh, Christmas books, and that, like, 90-95% of them do occur on Christmas Eve, so we could probably assume. Let's just say it is. Anyway, what we've got is a group of X-Men taking in the sights at Rockefeller Center. Sadly, there are no Latverian dictators currently cutting it up on the ice this time out, uh, and our cameos are reduced to... a guy who kind of looks like Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots? But, I mean, this was the mid to late 90s, so that could be, like, any dude in his 20s. They all look like Scott Weiland from the Stone Temple Pilots, but uh, we'll just say it was him. Why not? Now, our team for this holiday outing include Bishop, Gambit, Joseph, remember him? Well, you will. Rogue, Beast, using an image inducer, much like Nightcrawler did last episode, though looking like far less of a creepy pervert than Kurt did. His date is Trish Tilby, who 
I think I initially mistook his Jubilee in the opening splash page, since she doesn't say anything. Finally, we have our newest X-Man, Cannonball. Now, Beast becomes very, very verbose in order to comment on how it's going to be a white Christmas. Thankfully, Bishop doesn't try to compare the whiteness of New York snow to the nuclear fallout from the future. Eh? I don't know. Hank, who, the more I see him back in the long ago... Man, it only compounds how much they've just destroyed his character in recent years. I mean, it's like been a decade at this point that he's been just wrecked. Anyway, Hank plays the Cyclops role from X-Men number 98, and he invites everyone along for a special dinner with he and Ms. Tilby. And, just like in X-Men 98, nobody really seems up for it. Gambit cuts out like Wolverine did, claiming he isn't really feeling the Christmas spirit this time out. Now, Rogue is disappointed as she wanted to spend some time with him. Gambit tells her, hey, you might as well just hang out with Joseph, since, you know, they've been getting so chummy of late. Now, for those of you who might be asking, who in the hell is Joseph? Well, the quick, dirty, and as unspoilery as possible is, Joseph appeared to be a younger version of Magneto, who was found at a Mexican church or something. He's a good guy, and he's got an eye for Rogue. Now, if you recall, Rogue and Magneto were quite the item during the semi, you know, relatively recently ended Age of Apocalypse epic, which, uh, you know, uh, while I'm here, there's like 10 hours of Age of Apocalypse talk right here on the Chris and Reggie channel, so if anybody wants to hear it, Cosmic Treadmill episodes 100 through 105, all AOA, all the time. Anyway, Joseph is totally cool with having Rogue all to himself, and he invites her to go on a carriage ride. She's kind of tentative, but ultimately agrees to go. Hank then tur turns to Bishop to see what his excuse for bailing on dinner might be, and uh, Bishop is completely honest with him. He says it's been a rough few months, what with onslaught and all, and uh, he'd rather, he'd really just rather celebrate alone. Hank is cool with that, he, appreci he appreciates Bishop's candor. Finally, he turns to young Mr. Guthrie, who would actually love to go out for a bite. But first, he's got to pick up a few more gifts for his siblings. He is a Guthrie, which means he has like 47 siblings. Most of them have a name that starts with the letter J. Now, he tells Hank and Trish that he'll meet them at the restaurant in like five minutes. Hank laughs and tells Trish that they'll probably never, ever see the kid again. And so, we follow Sam over to FAO Schwartz, which, in fairness, is, is only like a five-minute walk from the tree at Rockefeller Center, though holiday foot traffic might slow him down a little bit. I want to say the last time I was at FAO Schwartz was, uh... The first time that I'd ever seen the Beast Toy Biz action figure, which had eluded me for months at that point. Only, instead of it being like $5, like it would have been at Toys R Us, it came on, it was like $15. F.A.O. Schwartz is a very, very overpriced store, in case, if you've never been there, it's wild. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't going to spend 15 bucks on an action figure, because in my, uh, you know, monkey brain, it's like, well, I could buy three for that price, so why am I going to buy one? So I passed on it. I did eventually find that action figure at a place called Service Merchandise, which, from what I can remember, it's a pretty weird place. It's kind of like a catalog store that you actually go to. Like, you go, and you're in this room, and you order from a catalog right there, and then they bring it to a window for you to pick up and pay for? Unless I dreamt that. It is possible. I might be conflating some events in my brain, but I'm pretty sure that was the gimmick there. Anyway, back to the story. Sam heads towards FAO's while having an expositional chat with himself in order to get us all caught up on everything that's happened of late in the X-Books. 
Again, Onslaught is the biggie here. Professor X went bonkers, and most of the Marvel heroes had vanished. Um, now, we covered bits and pieces of this during Cosmic Treadmill episode 146, where we spilled all the beans on the X-Trader. So, if you want to hear that, that's there. Uh, also this year, presidential hopeful, anti-mutant activist, and son of Sabretooth and Mystique, Graydon Creed, was assassinated on live television. This occurred in a recent issue of X-Factor. Uh, Psylocke manifested that weird Crimson Dawn thing on her face. Uh, Archangel went back to his normal wings. Finally, Iceman skipped town to hang out with his uh, formerly mutant-hating father. I think they were kind of cool at this point. Um, I do remember... I think it was a cover of, like, Bobby holding his father's body. I think he had a heart attack or something. I think it might have been the issue right before this one. Whatever the case, it's been a busy year for the X folks so uh, Sam, he counts his blessings. He considers himself to be living something of a charmed life. You know, he's got his real family, the whole Guthrie clan, but he also has his ex-family. Plus, he got himself a recent promotion, which I'll probably spend more time talking about in just a little bit. Oh, oh, oh. Cameo, cameo. By the way, when Sam is walking to F.A.O. Schwartz, he passes the Punisher. So we got a cameo. So finally, our man makes it to the toy shop, and oh boy, is it a zoo. Kids are everywhere, parents are complaining, it's it's complete madness. Sort of like I'd imagine most toy stores would be, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, if toy stores were still things that existed outside of F.A.O. Schwartz, I guess. Uh, Sam is uh, immediately scoped out by an attractive associate who asks him if there's anything she can help him find. He asks for a certain silly named video game, which naturally has been sold out for months at this point. Suddenly, a great big, boring, purple portal opens up right there in the toy store. And from it emerges a great big, boring, purple mohawk idiot. Sam snags the cutie by her uh, ample handles and blasts her out of harm's way. Though he doesn't really seem all to worry all that much about the kids running around. I, I guess we all have our priorities in life. Naturally, as the cover told us, this is Gladiator. Now he palms Cannonball's dome like Shaq would a basketball and says he's looking for the X-Men, but Cannonball will have to do. Ouch. It's stone cold from Gladiator. I mean, especially coming from someone as boring as Gladiator is. Could you imagine being insulted by this guy? Or belittled by this guy? What a joke. Meanwhile, let's go somewhere else. Joseph and Rogue, they're on their carriage ride flying high above the New York City skyline. The driver is quick to realize that his fare here are, you know, probably mutants. Joseph offers to lower the carriage down back to the ground, but the driver asks him not to. This driver, you see, is very cool with the mutants. He knows they're just, you know, trying their best to live their best lives. He considers this night flight to be a Christmas miracle and isn't quite ready for it to end. Joseph asks that they be dropped off atop the World Trade Center. Now, on the way to the Twin Towers, the carriage passes by the offices at 387 Park Avenue South, where we get ourselves another cameo. It's not quite on the level of uh, Stan and Jack or Chris Claremont in X-Men 98. It's Bob Harris. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a gag where he's complaining that Scott Lobdell and Joe Matt are running behind on their next issue. The latter was probably too busy playing through Chrono Trigger for the fourth or fifth time at this point. But then he sees a flying sleigh and decides, hey, maybe it's time to call it a night. Now back uptown, Cannonball and Gladiator fight a whole bunch. Sam blasts Gladiator through some walls just to get him away from the populated areas here, which gives him a boost in confidence. 
Then suddenly, as Sam is thrusting, they just stop dead. Gladiator has halted Cannonball's cannonballing. Sam says that this is impossible, to which Gladiator, with a smirk, says that uh, uh, that's just a matter of perspective. Which, okay, is uh, pretty neat. I'll grant you that. Sam then thinks fast and uses Gladiator's own momentum against him and sends them both careening into a construction site below. And that's where we'll leave them for now. Let's head back over to the World Trade Center. Joseph has brought Rogue here to give her her Christmas present. Of sorts. He reveals that, for the past little while, he's been deconstructing a Xenox chamber. Uh, The Xenox were, or I suppose they still are, a Silver Age alien race. They'll probably wind up being the antagonists of an upcoming Marvel mass crossover, maybe Empire 2, the Dullening. He then explains a rather convoluted plan that he had uh, to use this chamber to filter out mutant powers. Now you see... Xavier once used it to shield himself from the Xenox's psionic detection. Joseph theorizes that this might make it so the chamber will shield his own mind from Rogue if they were to make skin-to-skin contact. Now, he spends many, many dense panels trying to make this make sense, but the gimmick here is he asks Rogue if she trusts him. She says sure. He wishes her a Merry Christmas and proceeds to kiss her on her forehead and she does not absorb his powers or his memories. It's a sweet scene. It's a very sweet scene, though part of me still wants to punch Joseph in the face for creeping in on Gambit's girl. Back to the fight, okay? Sam and Gladiator, well, well, they fight. Um, Gladiator threatens to throw Sam into the sun, and uh, Sam knows uh, dude ain't just talking here because this is a threat that he can actually follow up on. Then, in a somewhat confusing series of panels, Gladiator goes to hit Sam with his most powerful blow, which Sam shrugs off. The hell? With Gladiator in various levels of shock, Sam is able to clock him with a double axe handle, which sends the boring alien into another building, leveling the place to rubble, probably killing hundreds. Or maybe they never left the construction site, so maybe it's a Christmas miracle. I don't know. During the exchange... Sam thinks a lot about how Gladiator's power is fueled by his confidence, and so he'd be at his most vulnerable when his confidence is shaken. It almost makes sense, but it still feels like something's missing. We'll hold that thought. Off-panel, Sam is given a bravo from Beast, who thankfully fills us in on just what in the hell just happened. You see, Sam channeled all of his kinetic energy from Gladiator's killer blow and directed it into his own force field. Okay. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to argue. I'm definitely not on the same intellectual level as Dr. Henry McCoy. I'm, we'll just take his word for it. Uh, Gambit and Bishop, they're also here, and they give Sam his kudos. Uh, nice of them all to show up when the dust settles in it. Uh, talk about like a trial by fire for uh, poor young Sam here. Now, speaking of dust settling, Joseph shows up, and he starts stacking girders and stuff out of the way. Finally, Gladiator explains just what in the hell his problem is. It's uh, something going down in the uh, Imperial Guard miniseries, which is probably one of those books stocked on the uh, spinner racks in hell, probably right alongside Fallen Angels Volume 2 and Empire X-Men. Apparently, the Shi'ar Empire is in grave danger. When are they not? Uh, Rogue is confused. You know, why why did he attack Cannonball unprovoked just to get their attention? It's like, it's not as though they never worked side by side before, right? Well, here's the thing. Gladiator doesn't really even explain He just says he needs to bow out of this battle And he wishes for the X-Men to go in his stead 
he probably could have just asked. Then, he produces a half dozen Krakoan gateway seeds. Oh, wait. No, no. It's a half dozen transit spheres, which teleport five of our X-Men and Trish Tilby to the Shi'ar Empire. Cannonball asks why he can't go with his teammates, to which Gladiator says it's far too dangerous to send someone so young into this battle. Though a powerless news reporter is perfectly fine. We do wrap up with Gladiator suggesting that, should the X-Men fail, the Shi'ar Empire will fall, shortly followed by the rest of the universe. Now, we do have a fun letters page here uh, that, you know, follows the story, of course, which really makes me pine for these simpler, less internet-y times. Um, letters pages is something I'd love to go through on our main X-Lapsed program, but... Uh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, I guess I could hit up other reviews and grab some commentary for flavor, but so much of that is the uh, 10 out of 10, this writer's a bulletproof genius variety, which, honestly, I want no part of. Maybe if I discover a way to add a few hours to the day or a few days to the week, I can finally kick off that X-Lapsed Relapse show and we can discuss some honest-to-goodness letters pages in those. Or I suppose I could cover these letters pages here, but uh, I would definitely need a memory jog to talk about them with any sort of eloquence or authority. So we'll just leave that be. Um, But let's talk about the issue. Let's talk about what we just read. Another fun one. Another fun one totally in my wheelhouse, despite the fact that it came out while I was on my hiatus. And I mean, if you're a Joe Maguire fan, as I am, you're going to love the way this one looks, for sure. Now, uh... Just like last episode, let's get the Christmasness out of the way here. Um, this is definitely more a Case B scenario, in that the story takes place during Christmas, but it does have enough overlap to keep up the festivities, right? The Christmas trappings are definitely front and center throughout the f- you know the first half of the issue. Uh, we hang out by the tree, Sam shops a Schwartz, Joseph gives Rogue her gift, even the goofy Bob Harris scene was a nice reminder that this story was occurring during a... You know, to many, the most wonderful time of the year. Now, our primary focus in this issue is Cannonball, so let's talk a little bit about Cannonball. I'm on record as being very pro-promotion as it pertains to superhero teams. I really like the idea that newcomers aren't immediately added to the most elite teams in the universe, because I don't think that does a whole lot to help anybody. It makes the newcomer, who, let's be honest, uh, nowadays is more than likely just going to be a character derivative of an already existing character anyway. It's just going to make them feel like they're being jammed on our throats, right? It's not going to feel like they earned their spot among these legacy characters, these heavy hitters, these A-listers, right? With Cannonball, we've watched him kind of grow up in these books, right? He started as a new mutant, transitioned into X-Force, he took a leadership role, and then finally... He's promoted to the main roster. It really felt earned. It actually felt like it took too long, you know? So when it actually finally happened, it felt, I don't know, like vindication a little bit for uh, for the character. It felt You felt good for him. And it made it feel like being an X-Men would seem like something that a heroic mutant could and perhaps should aspire toward, you know? You're not going to get there right away, but you could. What's more, uh, there's this period here where Cannonball still feels the need to prove himself. And, I mean, that makes complete sense, doesn't it? I think many of us have been in positions professionally where maybe you've been promoted to a new job or a new level, and uh, you have that very uncomfortable 
and very wobbly feeling out process, you know, where you really don't know what you're doing, but you can't let everyone else know that. So what you do is maybe you fake it till you make it, right? Or maybe you focus on the things that you know you're good at until that switch flips in your head and everything finally comes together and you're accepted and you're comfortable in this role. Maybe I'm just projecting, but this is where I feel Sam is at currently. And the way they're doing this just works just so well. Uh, This is definitely a coming of age for Cannonball and depicts him as being a pretty decent strategist as well as a powerhouse. Very, very well done. Very well done. Let's talk about the secondary focus for this issue, Joseph and Rogue. Okay, I'm definitely a Gambit and Rogue guy. Always have been, probably always will be. I love their date in X-Men Volume 2, Number 4. I absolutely adored the boysenberry pie incident in X-Men Number 8, which I covered about a year and change ago here on the channel. I almost threw my copy of X-Men 24 across the room when Rogue almost told Gambit her real name, and he told her it didn't matter because, damn it, I really wanted to know what her name was. Uh, Despite the fact that X-Men number 45 was the reason for my ex-hiatus, I did, in fact, love how Rogue and Gambit's story played out there. So yeah, big fan of this pairing. That said, though, this Joseph and Rogue deal, very well done. Um, Joseph is kind of like that guy, you know, uh, the guy who you've got this sneaking suspicion about and you just can't put your finger on quite why. I mean, discounting the whole magnetoness of the thing, of course. But he also has this certain charm. There's like an earnestness about him, so you can't outright hate the guy. And you might even think for a minute that Rogue would be better off with him. Now, this love triangle will build through Uncanny X-Men 350, which... I mean, talk about a shoe drop issue. Though, it was probably one of the worst kept secret sorts of shoe drops, but a shoe drop nonetheless. Not really sure what Lobdell's plan for Joseph was, since he'll be given the boot or resign not all that long from now. So don't know if his original vision was kept with the eventual and underwhelming Joseph revelation. I think we did talk a little bit about Lobdell's um, process I don't remember which episode it was. I think it was during a mailbag portion. But uh, Lobdell basically puts ideas out there, doesn't know how they're going to work themselves out, and he just hopes that they do. So maybe that was what Joseph was. Maybe Joseph was just, hey, this would be a neat idea, and then hopefully it'll get figured out. Unfortunately, he walked off the job or was booted off the job before he got the chance to. Now, the use of a Xenox chamber, though a bit convoluted, is also very creative. So hats off to Lobdell for digging deep on this one and actually having it make you know sense in a comic book sort of way. All that to say, this is a good scene. And I gotta say, Joe Mad draws a real, real good civilian rogue. Really, really good. Um, now, Gladiator is still quite dull. <laughs> and I recall not really caring for the Shi'ar story that follows this. Though, again, it's been a hair over 20 years since I last read it. I do appreciate how this issue, just like X-Men 98 before it, ends with the X-Men embarking on a space mission. I mean, that had to be intentional, right? This issue is as close to a straight homage to 98 as we're going to get without having our team attacked by Sentinels, right? I gotta say, it was really very cool to read these two issues in succession because 
Uh, this one really feels like a tribute to what came before while keeping eyes toward the future. It's neat when you think about it. Lobdell's final Christmas with the X-Men mirrors Claremont's first. I think that's kind of special, though. I really can't uh, put into words as to why I feel that, though, that the way that is. Overall, it was a heck of a good issue. A real feel-good story from the sort of long ago. And one that I'd encourage you to dig out and add to your Christmas reading rotation. The story, just like X-Men 98 before it, has a lot of heart. And it's just gorgeous to look at. Now, next episode, we're going to be taking a look at an issue of X-Men. I think, I think probably the issue of X-Men where most people's minds go when you think about X-Men Christmas issues. It's a pretty, you know, pretty famous one. So you'll probably know exactly the one I'm talking about, unless I'm completely in my own bubble here and just talking out my backside. Well, I guess we'll figure it out when we, uh, when we get there, right? Then for our last two episodes... Not sure where we're going yet. <laughs> Not sure where we're going to wind up. Uh, the X-Men and the X-Adjacents have uh, celebrated a lot of Christmases. I know we're supposed to think like everything happened ten years within 10 years, but uh, we've had a lot more Christmases than that. But we will see in a, in a couple days where we're at. So I hope you're enjoying this little holiday break from the, uh, the regular routine here. I know I am. <laughs> this has been a real treat to not... Uh, to not tread water in the Dawn of X uh, realm for a little while. I think this was a break that I needed. I don't think these uh, current year books are being written with an eye toward some marble-mouthed idiot devoting several hours of his day to uh, reading them a couple times over, writing a script longer than the issue itself, and then spending a lot of time uh, putting together shows for it. I think these are meant to be read, be enjoyed, and be put away. <laughs> you know? The X-Books these days, it's like you get three to six of them a week, right? So it's like, you don't have much time to dwell. It's like, okay, I got through this one, let's get to the next one. A guy like me, I get through it the first time, I get through it a second time, and then I write a script and record a show about it, which uh, I think I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> but uh, we will get back to the uh, to our you know normal business uh, after the holiday. So hope you're enjoying the break. Hope you're looking forward to the return of the regular stuff. Uh, so hope you're having a good time. I know I am. So uh, if you'd like to get a hold of me and tell me that you're having a good time with this, you could do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com is the, uh, the email address for the program. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. We've also got xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could chat us up on the Facebook group, 90s X-Men, and you could check out all the wonderful audio at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, which includes a lot of X-Men stuff and a lot of Christmas stuff, and now some Christmas with the X-Men stuff. I think we'll put a pin in it right there for today. Uh, next time, like I said, it's going to be uh, one you've probably at least seen the cover of. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing that one with you, but that'll be a discussion for then. So one more giant thank you for sharing your time with me uh, during this busy, busy holiday week. And as always, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya. Inside your heart